0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. Super. If you got a Bible, I encourage you to go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. So if you're just joining us, uh, man, we are... We're spending a couple years in the Book of Matthew, and I think we're about halfway through. So we're almost done with year one, and um, so we're just we're taking some breaks periodically, but we're just kind of I like to use the word marinating in this gospel uh, for for a good little while, and specifically just wanting to put the life of Jesus before us, and. Um, And allowing God to work in our lives to where we see him as one who is beautiful and brilliant and worthy of our worship and allegiance. And then at the same time, examining our own life and saying, God, I want to live like you. Like I want to be Christ-like in all of my ways. And so I'm looking at your life And by the grace of God, may you help me lean in, and may that be more and more of me. And so um, that's my heart with this book. It's my heart for my own life. It's my heart for you all. And that's why we're spending some time um, just kind of sitting in it. So we're finishing up chapter 13. So if you're able, I encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. So we're going to start in verse 53 and read down to, to verse 58. So hear the word of the Lord. So when Jesus had finished these parables... He left there, he went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished and said, man, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome, you may be seated. So here's what I want to talk a little bit about this this morning, just for a few minutes. I want to talk about the inevitability of rejection. Kind of ironic being on the heels of Valentine's Day, right? (laughs) Uh, Kathy made that known to me this weekend, so that's kind of a weird sermon to do two days from after Valentine's Day. But I, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about something that we avoid. I mean, if you're a human being, no one strives to be rejected. You can say, oh, I've got thick skin, I can handle it. Well, all right. Maybe you do. Maybe God's given you a capacity to kind of handle rejection, but um, I would still say it, it really hurts. And most of us in this room, when I say rejection, probably can bring up a face, a name, a person in our life where we experience rejection and it was really hurtful. Because usually there's a kind of an emotion tied to that. And whenever you feel that, you're going, okay, I don't want to ever feel that again, so I'm going to avoid that at all costs. But then you enter into relationship with Jesus, and if you're, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ, if you're going to live your like, life as Jesus lived his own life while he was on earth, then here's what you have. The inevitability of rejection. And so here's, here's all I'm trying to do this morning. And um, I realize, man, I just like I said in the giving time, there's, there's some of you that are here that are, wouldn't call yourself Christians. And once again, I'm really thankful you're here. And, um, and I know this may not be a really good PR to give your life to Jesus, right? Um, but at the same time, there is a cost. There is. I mean, it's worth the cost. We went through some parables last week. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure Someone finds in a, in a field it's amazing kingdom of heavens like this great pearl i mean there's i mean it's worth it but there but there is a cost and so you so if you're you're not a Christian you just get an opportunity to kind of see like part of what the cost is uh, but if you're a follower of Christ then I'm hoping to help you um see a couple things I just want to work through the passage here and then land on a couple things one i want to Just kind of remind us something that we know of rejection. I just want to kind of remind us again of this. I think it's very important. And I think this reminder helps us um, better understand how we're going to respond to rejection. So I'm not giving this full-blown exhaustive understanding of how to respond to rejection. I'm just kind of rooting a lot of this in the passage we just read. So just a reminder of what we need to hear about rejection and then how that informs our response to rejection. So let's look back at this passage, starting in uh, verse 53. Look, look what Matthew says here. So when Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. And so that's good and important for us to see. This is a transition that Matthew's doing in the gospel here. So we just got done looking at uh, the third of five big, I said five, <laughs> five, right? Uh, big blocks of teaching that Matthew has so arranged his works in. And so been been with us. Chapter 13 is seven parables, and they all have kind of a theme about the kingdom of heaven. And so what we see here in verse 53 is, is actually Matthew picking up the narrative that he stopped in chapter 12, where in that narrative you see this increasing opposition toward Jesus. And now Starting here and into chapter 14, he'll kind of continue this narrative flow until we have another block of teaching. And so that's a transition that we see Matthew doing here in verse 53. And then we read this in verse 54, Jesus went to his hometown, which at this time was Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth was a really small town, had probably 16 to 2,000 people in it. And so uh, Jesus would have been known by most people, would have um, saw him grow up, spent three decades with him. You know, he's probably around 33 or so at this time. So spent 30 years in his hometown. Anybody grew up in a small town? Super. So you know, you know what Jesus is feeling, right? I don't know about you guys. Anytime I go back to my hometown, I, or even when I encounter someone that knew me when I was young, you kind of find yourself going back into that, that young age. You know what I'm saying? Uh, my former pastor, Tony Rose, was here uh, last week during the 11 o'clock and every time I'm like around him or stuff I kind of feel like I'm 25 again <laughs> because that's when I first met him I'm like I'm 25 years old and I don't have a clue what I'm talking about you know I'm such an idiot And but I'm, I'm like I leave from that conversation going I'm 50 and I still don't know what I'm talking about but I'm 50 right <laughs> I'm not 25 anymore we were, were laughing about that but that's kind of what Jesus is feeling in some ways here everybody knows his history knows his story he goes on and says, he went to his hometown he began to teach them in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? So he goes into his hometown. He does kind of his custom. He goes into a synagogue. He begins to teach them. And not only is he teaching them, but obviously he's performing some kind of miracles through healing or whatever it is. It doesn't give us any details there. But as they're watching this, what does this say? Uh, this group, the hometown folks, what are they? They're, they're astonished. Some translations say they're amazed. They're excited. And actually uh, kind of what's also in here is there's admiration toward Jesus. And so they're, they're hearing um, him speak in such ways that they never heard before. Man, they've never seen wisdom like this. You know, or they're watching him do these miracles that they've never seen performed before in their hometown. They're astonished. They're amazed. There's an admiration toward him. But it's interesting, and hopefully you saw this as we read through this. Matthew um, kind of writes this, that it almost happens instantaneously. Like there's, a, there's a quick change from astonished, amazed, admire, admiration toward him to now they're offended. What happened? Look what he says here in verse 55. So they're seeing all this, hearing wisdom, watching these miracles, going, Where did this come from? And look at the series of questions that they ask themselves Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this his mother uh, called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't, aren't they all with us? What, what, what are all these questions? What are they? They're kind of like family of origin questions. They're hometown questions. They're like, we know you. You're not anything special, right? You, we grew up together. We played kickball together and tagged together. You cried, you know, when I accidentally punched you in the face. Or what do you saying, Like they... They, they all grew up together so where does he get as he continues on here in verse 56 where does he get all these things and then all of a sudden look at the switch they go from astonished to now they're what what does it say there they're offended that word offended means they they refuse to believe in him or not, even another way of looking at that they refuse to take him seriously so why what what's the big change what happened here how do they instantaneously almost go from being astonished to now they're offended. Well, Jesus is too human. They know where Jesus is from. Jesus is too much like them. I mean, they, they know he didn't go off and get some kind of higher education to be able to have the ability to speak the way he's speaking. He's a carpenter's son. I mean, it's, that's what they did in that time. they They just... Your dad was a carpenter, then that's what you're going to be. You're not going off to school. You're not going to go get some kind of education. They knew that of Jesus. They spent three decades with him. I mean, there's no, you know, noble birth with Jesus. It's pretty scandalous, right? Remember, they don't forget it. She mysteriously got pregnant by the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> yeah, right on. You, you know what I'm saying. There's no noble birth here. There's no impressive pedigree for Jesus. In fact, as we know also, he grew up quite poor. In our day it would be like growing up with food stamps. And how humbling and difficult sometimes that is to pay for groceries. Right? You follow me? That's what Jesus grew up like. And so they... The people knew all about that, about Jesus. And they're observing this wisdom that, oh, wow, I don't know how you got that. And this miraculous power. And so they're not doubting the reality of both of those. But what's causing them to now be offended by Jesus is they know where he came from. He's way too human for them. As one scholar puts it, he says this. Jesus seems at first to be special, perhaps even messianic. But people with fathers like the carpenter, right? Mothers like Mary. And brothers and sisters like the people they know cannot be messiahs. He is too much like them to be the transcendent one. They just could not get beyond the humanness of Jesus. This is not kind of my point today. It's almost like a little side note. Sometimes I wonder if it's still a problem even for us today. Maybe um, maybe that's your problem with the church. Maybe the reason why um, you you find yourself kind of like staying on sort of the the sidelines of church. It's like, yeah. It's messy, isn't it? It really is. Church is full of hypocrites. I'll say this this church is full of hypocrites. I'm a hypocrite. I'm not trying to excuse anything. I'm not trying to dismiss sin or downplay sin. I'm just trying to help us understand that the reason why the church is full of hypocrites is because it's full of human beings. And sometimes the humanness of church makes us want to kind of take this approach toward it. One author says this, and to this day, it's still Jesus' family, Parentheses, his church. is always all-too-human church that is both his major means of reaching the world and the major obstacle to the world's reaching him. I mean, there's never been a point in history where the church has got it right. It hasn't. It's always been kind of messy. It's always been both, right? We said this before. It's been really powerful, and it still is really powerful. Jesus is not giving up on his church. It's his idea. It's his plan to reach the world with the gospel, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is not man's idea. This is Jesus' idea, and so it's really, really powerful, but at the same time, it's kind of pathetic because it's filled with human beings like you and me. I think sometimes this might be even the the hang-up that some of us may have with Jesus, even though we don't even realize we have this hang-up with Jesus, is that the problem that the hometown crowd had for Jesus is still the same problem that we kind of have with him. Like, it's hard for us to really get around the idea of Jesus really being a human being. Yes, Jesus was like us in all ways, yet without sin. Because he had two natures. Fully God, fully man. And that yet without sin, however, I I'm, maybe wrong here. I'm open to that. But I think sometimes that yet without sin has a way of clouding and distorting a little bit of the humanness of Jesus. That he was a human being. And so, like, I mean, one, there's several examples. One, I would say, is, like, sometimes we can read this passage of Scripture, and the hometown and his household rejected him. We kind of have a, this mindset that Jesus was like, who gives a rip? Idiots. You know, it doesn't bother me. I'm steel. You know, just bounces off of me. You know what I'm saying? Like, just brush the dust off my feet. I'm out of here. You know what? I, got, I think we have this mindset. It didn't bother him. Who gives a rip? No, not I think you're downplaying the humanity of Jesus. Look, I know we've got people in this room who have been rejected by their moms and dads because of their belief in Jesus and their love for Jesus. And that's hurtful. That's really painful. And so we're we're dismissing the humanity of Jesus if we're not willing to kind of step in and say, you know what? Jesus knows exactly how I feel right now. I think sometimes we have struggles with the, the reality that, and I don't mean to be sacrilegious here. I don't, man. I'm just trying to help us see humanity. Like, let's kind of really see this. Like, he went through puberty and that horrible stage of life. Hey, Amen. Some of you are here and you're going through it. I feel so bad, man. I, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel, I promise. And if you're parents in this room and you've got kids going through puberty, oh my gosh, it's just exhausting so much that's going on in them, right? But Jesus went through the same thing. Jesus passed gas, he flatulated, he farted, whatever you want to say here, he did. I think like sometimes we think he didn't or it smelt great if he did do it, right? Right? It didn't come out like potpourri or whatever. Like He probably laughed about it, joked around. I'm saying, like, he's human. He had BO. He had to do number two every once in a while, obviously. He was tired, had to sleep. He got frustrated with people. All this without sin. I get that. But sometimes I, I think we struggle with really seeing the full humanity of Jesus. Like, it's hard for us to really think that he was like us in all ways, without, yet without sin. That the, the difficulty that the hometown people have is still us, guys. One scholar says it like this, the story teaches us to weigh realities, Jesus is not less messianic for being human, nor is he less divine for, for coming from ordinary stock. And I love this line. It is the glory of God to stoop. And thank God he did. This story teaches us to hold Jesus' deity in his humanity. And we see this over and over with Matthew. Matthew over and over is declaring to us that Jesus is the king He is the long awaited Messiah that all of Israel was hoping and longing for, but not the king that anyone expected or wanted. So, hometown folk can't get beyond. He lived next door. I saw him grow up. And look how the story ends, starting here at the end of verse 57. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And so we would, we would say, I mean, it's just kind of like a, a general saying that most people knew in this time. But we would say it something like this, familiarity breeds contempt. Or no doctor cures those who know him. And then Jesus said this, or Matthew said this in verse 58, and he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. And so just remember, and as we kind of close and talk a little bit about rejection here, sometimes we can read that and get a little confused on what's going on there. Is, is, is God like, you know, handcuffed where he's wanting to do miracles and he's waiting on humanity to get kind of like level nine of faith before he can act? You know, they're at 8.5. no. We talked about this several weeks ago. This is not the case here. You know, God can act on his own, on the psalmist says. He sits in the heavens and does as he pleases. And we know not only in the Bible, but even through life experiences where God shows up in really powerful ways in spite of our lack of faith or sometimes when there's no faith at all. I mean, look at all the miracles that took place in the Exodus that had nothing to do with Israel's faith, Moses' faith, or Pharaoh's faith. God just chose to act in a miraculous way to rescue his people, right? And we saw that all in Matthew chapter eight and nine when we looked at all the different levels of faith, but God still, Jesus still acted in spite of or because of faith there. And so all I'm just saying here is when it says that he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Remember, faith is a posture of openness. Remember that? And so they're not open. They can't get over His family of origin. They can't get over where he comes from. They're closed. And so Jesus is not going to force himself upon them. Instead, he chooses not to do many miracles there. He did some, but he didn't do many. So in his hometown, in his own household, he was rejected. Said, no, we don't want you. And so if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're gonna be a disciple, if you're gonna live your life as Jesus lived his life, then Jesus is really, really clear that what he experienced on this earth is what you are going to experience on this earth. I mean, he said it over and over, he said it specifically in the Gospel of John. In this world you will have what? what do he say? Say it out loud, you can speak out loud. Nobody's gonna come and take you out, all right? <laughs> Say it. You're going to have what? Many troubles. troubles. Then say we're going to have peace. Then say we're going to have people that kind of finally get us. Then say we're going to have people that share our values. They're going to adhere to what we believe and embrace what we say. That doesn't say, man, we're going to finally, you know, someone's going to look at you and go, yes, you're so awesome, amazing. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. You know, thank you. No, there's going to be a ton of trouble in this world. In fact, he goes... And makes it really, really clear to us. You will be hated. And that's hard to hear. You will be hated because of me. For a guy like me who likes it when people like him. (laughs) Right? Like I like it when people like me. Jesus makes it real clear. You're going to be hated because of me. Be weary when people always speak well of you. It's the inevitability of rejection. So with that in mind, um, here's what we need to know about rejection. Like this is a no-brainer, but I think sometimes we forget this and it kind of causes disorientation with us when we do feel rejection. And that is this. Like it's an expectation You need to expect to be rejected. We should not be surprised by this. I mean, I know it's not great news. I know we don't want to hear it or live it. But you need to expect that you will be rejected. And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, as as a disciple, and I get it. Some of us are are choosing not to do this. I'm not preaching a sermon on that right now. Uh, But But you are a witness of Jesus Christ. Now, how well of a witness you are, I don't know, right? That's for you to kind of sit with the Lord and and see kind of where that's landing, right? But you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, have the privilege and the uh, calling and the empowerment of the Spirit to be a carrier of the name of Jesus. Like, you get the privilege of taking good news to people that need to hear good news. And this is good news. I mean, I'd marinate and sit with the parable of the treasure and the pearl. I mean, think on that. This is great news that we get to share and live out in front of other people. This news that life with God, as life was supposed to be lived, is made available to you, not by, by what you do. Not by your work. Not by you cleaning up your life and getting yourself straight. No, by the work of Jesus Christ. It's all that He did for us. And that is available to us and we can receive that through grace. We don't have to jump through hoops. We don't have to do anything for this. This is a gift from God and it is good news. You have peace with God through Him. You have joy. You You have a place for your shame and your guilt and your fear. You have a future. You have hope. You have significance. You have purpose in life. You can change. That's what this gospel will do for you and do for people. You need to get your imagination kicked in a little bit and begin to think about what will your workplace be like if your boss trusted and gave his life to Jesus. I mean imagine that. Think about what your neighbor's family would be like if mom and dad gave their life to Jesus. That's the good news that we have the privilege, the privilege, not the have to, we get to to carry the name of Jesus to people who need to hear this gospel. It's it's good news. But it's also costly. Because the the first movement toward this good news is someone has to humble themselves. And humbling yourself is really hard. And no one likes to do it. They've got to own that they need God and they can't do it. And if you've forgotten what that feels like as a Christian for a long time, I'll remind you, it's, it's hard. You don't like it. You resist it. it. It even may even create anger from you. You can hear all this good news. And what astern stern in you is, ah, no. Don't tell me that. Who are you? You're self-righteous, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, this is good news, right? And then what, what comes out is rejection. Because the first movement toward the gospel is you've got to humble yourself. I mean, I really find it interesting how Matthew closes out chapter 13 because it's almost like he, uh, well, not almost, I think he bookends, bookends it on purpose like this, obviously. So the the chapter begins with the parable of the sowers. The sower, not sowers, sower, right? And how many soils are there total? Said out loud. Four. And how many soils actually took the seed and produced fruit? I'm giving it away, right? <laughs> One. So, what should we expect? Resistance, a lot of failure. One out of four, take. That's it. So we should expect resistance. We should expect failure. And we should expect rejection. And it's almost like what Matthew is doing here is that the end of the chapter is narrating for us what he said in the beginning with the parable. He goes in his hometown, and they, I, I mean... I think it's hard for us to fathom this, right? But we need to know that we'd be just like them, right? If it, that Jesus was teaching, like, can you, he's up here teaching, and they're blown away. Oh my goodness, he's amazing, and I don't know if this is what happened, I'm like, using my imagination, somebody rolls up on the stage, maybe they're limping, I don't know, pop! They walk off the stage, it's legit, it's not that crazy stuff we see on YouTube, you know what I'm saying, like legit. You know, a guy just literally got healed. He wasn't just someone faking it. Amen, right? Okay, maybe not. Maybe you guys are not. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, they see this. And they reject him. It's really, really hard for us to believe that. We think we would see it and go, oh, man, I'm in. No, no, no. <laughs> you would do the same thing. And so look, we... We should not be surprised then when we, as a a care of the name of Jesus, and maybe we do it right. Maybe we we respond with truth and grace and love and patience and kindness like we do it right. You're still going to be rejected. How do I know that? Jesus did. And he handled every situation perfectly. He was, he was a perfect embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit. Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, love, and I'm missing some. You know what I'm talking about, right? And he still was rejected. And so, look, this needs to be our expectation. And we should not be shocked. When this happens, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It, well, maybe, right? I think there needs you need to kind of examine yourself to make sure they're rejecting the gospel and not the way you're presenting it, right? Your presence could be not the fruit of the spirit. And that's the work you need to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. You with me there? So, but at the same time, you could be doing it really, really well and still face rejection. It has nothing to do with you. He says, they're going to hate you because of me. And so we don't respond to rejection with hostility. I don't know about you, that's my first response, isn't it? Isn't it yours? You reject me? Okay, right? I'll fight back a little bit, get some more, I'll get angry with you, right? No, we don't respond to rejection with hostility. We also don't respond to rejection in the other extreme, fatalism. Where we just say, ah, let them go to hell in a handbasket. Who gives a stinking rip, right? And that's some of your postures. Ah, I tried. They just won't listen. Idiots. What is that? Well, it's a mixture of hostility and fatalism, I think. No, we don't respond to rejection with hostility and fatalism. We respond to rejection, listen to me, with resilient hope it's important you keep resilient there. Persevering hope. Hope that stays at it. Now, where in the world do I get that? Well, I get it from this passage of Scripture. I love that Matthew records their names. Don't you? He doesn't just say, hey, and his family rejected him. His brothers and sisters, bleh, and the mom. Bleh. No, he gives names. Specific names here. Did you see that in verse 55? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brother James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Now look, look guys, this is the household. What what did Jesus say? I wasn't received in my hometown and my household. This is the household. And so the household is rejecting Jesus. Saying, I don't know about you, I'm I'm not sure here, but I think God... That Matthew includes their names because if we read the full story, we know that Mary goes to the tomb and there she sees the resurrected Jesus and no longer is he just her son. Now he is her Lord and she gives her life completely to him and her life is forever changed. It's not the end of the story. Rejection is not always the end of the story. We see it with James. Who's James? He's one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And we got a letter in the New Testament. That's his brother. I don't know, I don't know about you, but that's one of the ways I, I, you know, I rectify this mind. Is, is it, was the resurrection for real? Was it really for real? i tell you, it is for real. You've got to do something amazing to get your brother, right, to admit that you're God in the flesh. And I'm going to bow and surrender my life to you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love my brother Brian, but, dude, I'm bowing down to him. Who do do you think you are? But James does. He saw the resurrected Jesus. His life was forever changed. Judas here, most scholars say, that's Jude. The little bitty letter from right before Revelation that none of us ever read because we can't find it, right? Like, I always miss that one because there's no chapters. This is just Jude. Jude. Jude, that's all you got. You got verses, right? This passage of Scripture is pregnant with hope. Something changes for every single one of them. They encounter the resurrected Jesus and their lives are forever changed. We don't respond to rejection with hostility and fatalism. We respond to rejection with resilient hope because rejection is not always the end of the story. There's always hope. Because God does the impossible. There's always hope. He can do anything. And so rejection is not always the end of the story. We just persevere. We stay on it. We have hope that's not like, you know, Disney hope. Well, you're kind of floating around. No, we got a hope in a God who is alive who sits at the right hand of the Father, his name is Jesus Christ, and he's at work right now, taking his little seed of the gospel that's even being spoken and sung today, and he's planting it in someone's heart right now, and he's about to birth new life in you, where 10 years from now you're going to look, man, my life has completely changed, my family's different, my home's different. I broke a generational curse in in my home. Why? Because of the seed of the gospel. There's always hope. Always hope. I'm so thankful Matthew put these names in here. Because that's not the end of the story. Rejection is nine. So look, I've had conversations with a lot of you in this room. I actually had a conversation with someone even this weekend that talked about um, just how close friends and family members are now defining what conversations they can have and not have because they're followers of Jesus Christ. And they don't want to hear any more about it. You been there? Like, hey, we could talk about anything you want to talk about. But here's what we're not talking about. Don't talk about God. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about your church. Don't, don't give me any God talk. But anything else is, uh, you know, good. But here's the parameters. I mean, that's easy When it's a stranger. That's easy when it's just the, you know, the attendant at Kroger you run into, right? That's really hard if it's your mom, your dad, a grandparent, a son, a daughter, a spouse, or a really close friend that you grew up with. I mean, you can respond and say, "Well, I don't give a rip." We're just gonna keep talking about it. This has to be heard. I mean, you can. I I don't know. I don't know if that works. It's like. But you can pray. And that's not a cop out, guys. It's not. You can wait patiently. You can be present with them, you can love them, and you can speak truth when there's opportunity to do so, and as the Spirit leads you. Why? Why do we do this? Because there's always hope. Rejection is not always the end of the story. So maybe you're here and you got a son or a daughter whose heart breaks, right? Your heart, right, breaks because of their rejection, and it seems hopeless. Maybe you're here and you got a spouse who refuses to hear anything when it comes to God, And week in and week out, you get up alone, you get your kids ready, and you come to church. It's really hard, sometimes really hurtful. Maybe you're here and you've got a close friend who once they found out you're a Christian, is just different. Feel rejected. It hurts. So be encouraged today. Stay at it. Don't give up. Don't respond with hostility and anger or fatalism. Rejection is not always the end of the story, there is always hope. Anything is possible with God. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com jtown J-Town.